are talking about effective praying, right? How's your prayer life, right? And we're we're we'll probably have today and the next day, and then we're kicking into and next week, then we're kicking into First Peter, okay? And we have covered the main way is obvi- the obvious hindrance of effective prayer is the presence of what sin. sin. Unconfessed sin, right, Deb? Unconfessed sin, okay? The presence of unconfessed sin. So we need to continually walk confessing before Him, right? Presence of unconfessed sin is a hindrance to prayer, okay? Isaiah 59.2 said, Your iniquities have separated you from God. Okay? And they, of course, thought God had moved away from them. Not true. They moved away from God. Okay? And so... uh, David said, if I cherished sin in my heart, the Lord wouldn't have heard from me, okay? And then there are several areas of sin that are, that are hindrances to effective prayer. One is when we are living according to the what? Flesh, right? The bad dog in our life, right? We have good dog in our life, and we have bad dog in our life. The bad dog is the flesh, the good dog is the Holy Spirit. And not until we see Jesus face to face, you know, the Holy Spirit will always be there, and the bad dog will be there. However, it's whoever, whichever dog you feed, what? Wins. Right? Whichever dog you feed wins. And so we don't want to be living according to the flesh. We want to be living according to the spirit. Like captivated, drunk with the spirit. Okay? And so uh, what happens is when we're not living according to the spirit, our desire to pray, our desire to be in his presence, okay? Our desire, our, our ability to effectively communicate with God our creator is not there. Is not there, okay? And so we have this new nature because we're born what? Born again. We are born again, right? We have a new nature, but our new nature still resides in our old flesh, okay? And so uh, we have an old tent that's corrupt and sinful. And so in Romans 8 that we studied, we needed to take what? The deeds of the flesh and do what with them? Put them to death. Excellently, she gets a sword out. Put them to death, right? You don't nourish. You don't nourish them. You don't nurse them. You don't pamper them. You put them what? To death. You put the deeds. You put to death the deeds of the body. That's our flesh. That's our flesh thinking. Okay. You don't just you know, injure them a little bit. You put them to death. Okay, And so only then will we be able to pray in close communion with him. That will be, hey, sweets. Uh, uh, and then what happens is when we're living in the flesh, it manifests itself in selfishness. Right? Living in the flesh manifests itself in selfishness. So you care about me, myself, and I. Right? It's like, how does this affect me? That's how you walk through life, right? How does this affect me? And so selfishness tends to take over, and that's another hindrance that we learn to effective prayer, right? Because you are praying self-prayers. They're selfishly motivated, okay? Only God sees our what? Heart. Excellent. Sees our heart, right? He knows the absolute motivation of our heart. And he sees into our heart, and he goes, you know, Margo, that might look good on the outside, but you're really stinking it up on the inside because you're motivated is totally self-based. Totally self-based, okay? And so, when we ask God for what He wants in our life and for others more than what we want, then we become selfless. Right? We go from selfish to selfless, okay? And so we learned in 1 John last week that He says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask what? Anything. Anything, What? He hears us, but what? According to His will, right? According to His will, He hears us, okay? And that's where we go from selfish to selfless.
that we actually do trust him, that we actually do believe that he has the best plan, and our plan, as Mary now has wonderfully said even on Facebook, is our putrid selves, right? Our putrid selves. Okay? I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss God's best. I want to live in such a way that's so obedient before him that I receive all the blessings I'm to have this side of heaven. Right? Don't you? Absolutely. I want to live so I will receive all the blessings this side of heaven that he has for me. I want to live self selflessness in obedience. All right? And so we went, well, now we're going to go from the selfishness, okay, to realizing that when we're praying according to not our will be done, but according to God's will be done, then we're doing what? We are submitting, right? We are praying in submission. We are asking in submission whatever His will is, that's fine with me. And Donna shared last week about how God so spoke to her uh, when Janet first, this had happened, and she was, she was nervous and anxious and Fearful and fearful. And how when she realized that really God does have absolutely his best and she submitted to that, that the peace that passes all understanding is what takes her through. And then people go, what is it, Donna, about you? You have a daughter who needs a double lung transplant. She's like, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. You want to know about him? Because he's the one. He's the one. Right? That's how easy it is to be relational in telling your story. Right? Relational. So... When we are when we are in submission to him, okay, to whatever his will may be, okay, whether or not we know what his will is, that's the deal, right? Right? Like he says in Philippians one twenty seven, which was my year verse, you know, whatever happens, it's like, no, I'm not thinking whatever happens. Right? Uh, you don't trust me. Yeah, I do. No, I don't. And quite frankly, I had to come to him and said, you know what? No, I don't. No, I don't. Please forgive me. I don't. And so he says The best example, remember how we studied Jesus' prayer life, walking here on earth? Okay, well the best example for submission to the Father in prayer is whom? Jesus. Jesus. Excellent. It's Jesus, okay? So I want you to open up to Luke 22. Okay, Luke 22. Because as in all things, Jesus is our example uh, in prayer. And he always, 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 always prayed what? In the will of who? Whom? In the will of the Father. Okay? Luke 22. Luke 22. 39. Jesus prays on the Mount of Olives. Okay? Jesus went out as what? Usual to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. How perfect is this? It's Ash Wednesday, isn't it? When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them, was leading them, and he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? 
When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike out with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear, which we learned about good old Pete. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Okay, back up with me to his prayer closet. Okay, where was Jesus' prayer closet? Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives. There's his prayer closet. Jesus went out where? As what? As usual. <coughs> As usual to where? The Mount of Olives. Where's his prayer closet? The Mount of Olives. Okay? Where's his prayer closet? That's his prayer room. Okay? Let's let's have a takeaway here for a minute. Okay. Do you have somewhere to go? Right? Do you have somewhere to go? Do you have a prayer closet? Do you have a prayer room? Do you get away? Mary was sharing a couple weeks ago how she now, you know, doesn't lay in bed and then fall asleep or whatever. She gets up and she goes and she's somewhere to be with the Lord. A prayer closet. Intentionally being with the Lord. Okay? So, Father God can change your mind. So your mind will be renewed. Right? So that you can become renewed. It's not just that we're interceding. It's so that we can be changed before a holy God, that we're before him. And he's changing us in that prayer closet. So he says, so um, Luke is writing, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. You know, if you're not doing that as usual, ask the Lord for the desire for that, because it will change you. It will change you. It will, it will, he will absolutely change you in the moments with him when you are in that prayer closet. Sometimes you don't have to say a thing. But you need to be listening, 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 listening to him, okay? And he was accustomed to that, okay? He had spent his nights there that week. Did you know that? Back in Luke 21, 37, Jesus had spent his nights at his prayer closet. And he refused to alter the routine. And the reason I went into Judas being there is because he knew it meant that Judas would easily find him. And he refused to alter that routine. He went to his prayer closet, knowing full well that Judas, one of his disciples that would betray him, would know that's where Jesus is. Do people know you by your prayer closet? Do people know? My kids know in the morning that, you know what, mom's probably with Jesus. So if they're going to knock, they're going to do this. Mom, are you with Jesus? <laughs> like, yep. Do you need, is it like, is, is there fire going on? Is anything necessary? You got everything for today? Yeah? Okay. I said, okay, give me 15 more minutes. Okay, mom. Okay, mom. Right? They know where I'm going to be. They know where I'm going to be. I'm going to be in my chair, overlooking the lake, in my master bedroom, with Jesus. Right? That's where I'm going to be. In the prayer closet. And that's where you should be. Non-negotiable, face-to-face time with him, as usual, okay? As you are walking through, so you continue to be changed before him. And I love that he says, he knelt down and prayed, because did you know, in that day, it was you were accustomed to only stand and pray. You didn't kneel down and pray. You only stood and prayed. Okay, that was the custom back then. The usual manner of praying was to pray in a standing position. And Jesus knelt down, which shows to me, proves the violence of what's going on in his struggle in Gethsemane. The violence that's going on in his struggle in Gethsemane, where he is. 
Okay? And so he says to the Lord, Father, if it's your will, take this cup away. Take this cup away from me. And, and, and my question is, I was studying this, and like, you know what? If Jesus knew what the Father's will was, why was this such agony? Agony. Why was this such agony? Because he was all man. Because what? He was like us. Absolutely. He was like us, right? Why was it such agony, okay? Because Jesus was going to the cross as the sacrifice for our sins, right? Past, present, and future. Absolutely, okay? And so he was no dumb sacrificial animal. Old covenant. Sacrificial animal, right? Covered over. God would choose to cover over. He'd choose to realize, okay, I will cover over their sins with that dumb sacrificial animal. Did that animal know? No. It was a dumb sacrificial animal, and Jesus was no dumb sacrificial animal. Jesus knew before the foundation of the world that at God's appointed time that he would come and save his people from their sins. That is not cheap grace. See, he was no victim of circumstances, was he? Curtain was ripped in two, right? I mean, he he was no victim of circumstances. He willingly resolved, willingly resolved in his prayer closet to lay down his life. That's where it's resolved, is in your prayer closet. It wasn't resolved as he's carrying the cross up. It wasn't resolved as he's being beaten on. It wasn't resolved as he's up there in there, you know, throwing lots for his clothes. That's not when it was resolved. It was resolved in his prayer closet. And it's the same thing with us. It's the same thing with us. It's the same thing. You know, we need to pray just like Jesus, right? If you have a thorn in your side or whatever, you know, take this cup from me. But what? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. So you give him full sway. You give him full sway. You allow that he knows the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end, the great big picture, and you walk through that. You walk through it, just like Jesus did. And, you know, when he says about cup, I was researching about cup. You know, I understand now why um, Jesus used the figure of a cup. Because I want you to look with me in the Old Testament, repeatedly in the Old Testament. The cup is a powerful picture of the wrath, the wrath of the judgment of God. And I want to tell you something. If you do not understand and know the wrath of the judgment of God, you will never know his love. You will never know his love. It's not just like, oh, he loves and this is... Are you kidding me? If you don't know God's wrath of the judgment of what it took for sin... To be forgiven through Jesus Christ. You will never know his love. You will never know his love. And so I want you to look up cup. Psalm 75.8. Who can look that up for me? 75.8. Celeste, can you, honey? Psalm 75.8. Okay, excellent. Uh, Kate, can you do Isaiah 51.17? Excellent. Deb, can you do Jeremiah 25.15? Sure. All right. Those are the three. And if you don't want to look them up, I want you just to listen very intently. Because, yes, it is Psalm 75, 8, Isaiah 51, 17, and Jeremiah 25, 15. Okay, and so I want you to see. Now remember, the New Testament is the Old Testament what? Revealed. Okay? 
revealed. And so Jesus was very familiar with the figure of a cup because it was repeatedly used in the Old Testament as a powerful picture of the wrath and judgment of God. Who has Psalm 75 8? Okay, big voice, Celestine. For the Lord holds a cup in his hand. It is full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours the wine out in judgment, and all the wicked must drink it, draining it to the dregs. Cup of judgment. A cup of his wrath. Okay, I want you to hold on. Psalm 75, 8. I want you to hold on to that. Uh, Kate Hunt, Isaiah 51, 17. Awake, awake, rise up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord, the cup of his wrath, you who have drained to its dregs the goblet that makes men stagger. Read that one more time, hon, please. Awake, awake, rise up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord, the cup of his wrath, you who have drained to its dregs the goblet that makes men stagger. In the Revised Standard, it says a cup of his fury. A cup of his fury. A cup of his wrath. Excellent. Thanks. Jeremiah 25, 15. Who has that? This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup, filled with the wine of my wrath, and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. Cup of his wrath. Okay. I want you to understand that Jesus became, as it were, an enemy of God. Just like Lisa was just sharing. Okay, are you getting this? I'm not getting Okay, you must follow, okay, with this. I want you to understand that Jesus became, as it were, okay, an enemy of God who was judged and forced to drink the cup of the Father's fury so that you and I, you and I, you and I would not have to drink of that cup. He took it willingly, judgment, wrath, Right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit been together before, you know, continually eternity past. Forever and ever and ever and ever. They always were. And at God's appointed time, right? God's appointed time, He took and He drank that cup for us so that we didn't have to drink it. And taking this figurative cup, okay, was the source of Jesus' greatest agony on the cross. Exactly what Lisa was saying. Because it's decided on in the prayer room. You've resolved it already in the prayer room. Think about anything that you're going through right this moment. It's not decided when you get right up to it. Because if you do decide on that, most of the time you're going to decide wrong. You're going to decide wrong. If you come right up to the edge and you're right there at the moment, most of the time you're going to react instead of acting rightly before the Father God. And when you act rightly before the Father God, it's because you're in the prayer closet and you've already resolved it. This is done. This is finished. It's done now. And I'll just walk through. I'll just walk through exactly what Jesus did. Submission to his will. So when we are praying, it's submitting to his will. It's not looking the best, but guess what? He has his purposes, his plans, his glory, not us. We are to submit as he submits because it's, it's absolutely, when, he, when you say, nevertheless, my will but yours be done, just like Jesus did, Jesus came to a point of decision in Gethsemane. In Gethsemane, okay? Okay, it wasn't that he had not decided or that he had not consented before, but now he came to a unique point of decision. 
right? You guys, you're always, as you are walking, you are walking and you're being conformed to the likeness of his son, okay? And at some point, given this over, you've, you've allowed him, you've decided that you're going to walk and continue to be sanctified by him and made holy and be set apart and everything. But at one point, you need to come along with each situation, come to a unique point of decision. And at that point, it's what's inside already that spills out. That's why you need your prayer closet. That's why you need to continue to say, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, okay? He came to a unique point of decision. A unique point of decision, okay? He drank the cup at Calvary. He drank the cup at Calvary, okay? But he decided once and for all to drink it at Gethsemane. Right? It's the same with us. It's the same with us. We say, okay, Lord, that's it. I tell my kids all the time, you guys, you have to decide now that you're going to choose right here and choose right here you don't decide when the temptation comes along you don't decide when you're in the middle of it you decide now in your prayer class and so it goes on to say that um, being in agony he did what? he gave up what did he do? he surrendered and did what? he prayed more he prayed more when he was in agony he didn't just like give up he prayed more earnestly it says he's in agony and he prayed more earnestly okay what did Jesus do in his time of agony he prayed he prayed more earnestly he that's what an example we are to persevere we are to push in we continue to pray we absolutely praying in his will will move his hand he moves mountains for us. He continues. So he prayed more earnestly that his sweat became like what? Great, great drops. Like those great, big, huge snowflakes we saw this morning, right? Great drops of blood falling to the ground. I was reading and studying this, and there's a um, commentator guy named Clark, and he says this, listen, there have been cases in which persons in a debilitated state of body or through horror of soul have had their sweat tinged with blood. Cases sometimes happen in which through mental pressure, the pores may be so dilated that the blood will issue from them so that there may be a bloody sweat. Okay? So it says... It says um, his sweat became like drops of blood, but they have shown that you can actually have blood in your sweat from this because the agony is so immense. It is so immense. And so, you know, when he came to the, the lowest point ever, he pushed in harder. He prayed more. He prayed more. As we draw near to him, he draws near to us, right? We just pour it out to him, right? And then we sit there in the palm of his hand, underneath his wings, like a hand covers his chicks, and just listen to him and let him engulf us. And let him tell us, it's okay. I've already walked this path for you, remember? But for the glory set before me, I endured the cross. I've already done it for you. I've walked this path. I know it. And so we sit there, and then what happens? I love this. Who appears? Da 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 da! An angel! An angel of the Lord! Whoa! Right? Here is Jesus, right? All God, all man, praying. Now remember, he's a stone's throw away from whom? The, the very 
sleeping, weary, flesh-oriented disciples, right? And he is boring, and I mean, he's in his greatest agony, and he's sweating as a drop, of, as as a blood drops of sweat are coming. And meanwhile, what happens? An angel appears to him from heaven. God sends his messenger right, right in the middle of it. He says, "Here you go to strengthen him, to strengthen him." An angel comes. I'm going to go and strengthen my Lord. Whoa! I'm his messenger. I get the incredible response of going and strengthening him. And Jesus is there and he absolutely, in response to Jesus' prayers, the Father did not take the cup from Jesus, did he? He didn't say, okay, Jesus, you know what? Then we'll take that cup. He didn't take the cup. But what he did is, he strengthened Jesus to be able to drink the cup. That's what he does in our life. That's what he does in our prayer closet. He might not take the cup. He, we might be praying you know, to take this cup from us. And guess what? He might not take the cup. Because it's better if he doesn't take the cup because he wants to strengthen you supernaturally. Supernaturally. An angel comes to strengthen Jesus right there. And guess who missed out on all that? The disciples. Don't miss out on it. He comes to strengthen you in the midst of it so you can drink the cup. Right? Because he's called the Deliverer with a capital D. He will either deliver you out of it or he will deliver you in it. But either way, he will deliver you. That's who he is. He can't be anything else but. And then he turns around. (laughs) He sees them sleeping from sorrow. They sleeping from sorrow, okay? The disciples were also filled with sorrow like Jesus, right? Right? Jesus was filled with sorrow, right? But the disciples were also filled with sorrow. But what did the disciples do with their sorrow? Did they push in more and pray more in the agony of it that Jesus did? Remember, these are his 12 disciples. This is it. I mean, this, these are the, this is the motley crew that Jesus has chosen, knowing full well they're going to be sleeping before he's going to the cross. Okay? And what happens is, is that the disciples were so filled with sorrow, but instead of praying, they slept. They gave in to the flesh. They gave in to the flesh. And Jesus awakens them and said, You big dummies! Don't you understand? You are idiots. I have shown you. I have walked with you in this. this. Look at me. I'm a bloody mess. I'm going to the cross. What are you doing? Does he do that? No. He encourages them to what? To pray. He encourages them. He wakes them up. He wakes them up and he encourages them to pray. Is that the sweetest? He knows that they're sleeping. He knows that they're, you know, flesh. He knows that, you know, that they are full of sorrow. He know, they absolutely know that. He knows that. But then he says, you know what? I'm encouraging you. Come on, let's pray together. And you know why they probably slept? Because they wanted to escape. You guys ever sleep to escape? Fear. Wanted to escape. They wanted to escape instead of escaping to the Father. Right? You're either escaping away from the Father or escape to Him. 
Do you remember that Wisconsin bumper sticker that said escape to Wisconsin? And people took the two out that said escape Wisconsin? Do you remember that? Not a very good advertising agency that did that. Right. Same thing with the, with the father. You're either escaping to him or you're escaping from him. And they were filled with sorrow and instead of pushing in to the Lord, they escaped. They escaped by sleeping. Okay? Oh, you guys, this is where the submission, the submission to him, that his will be done. This is the sweet part. This is the sweet spot of being in that prayer closet, making that decision, absolutely knowing that you're going to be encouraged miraculously, supernaturally, because you've already decided that I am going to do the will of the Father no matter if this is hard or not, because I know that I know that he's gone before me, and it's okay. That is what we're talking about when we're, when we're sharing about hindrances to effective prayer. We're saying, you know what, you, you, you have to, when you're praying according to God's will, it needs to be in submission to whatever his will may be. And, and, and Jesus is our best example in that in prayer because he always prayed like we just went through about in the will of the Father the will of the Father yet not my will but yours be done selfish prayers are meant to satisfy our selfish desires okay selfless prayers become his will for me his will for me and we shouldn't expect God to respond to those selfish prayers because it's, they're not prayed in what? In his will. In his will. You guys, when we're praying in his will, what we are doing is we are submitting, knowing that we are dependent creatures that he has made, loves us so much, and is not going to drop us. He doesn't go, oh, well, I forgot about that. What's going to happen now? That's not who he is. Not who he is. No matter what your circumstances are, he takes you through them because he is absolutely the deliverer. Okay, and so when and when we studied uh, in James 4, verse 3, he says, when you ask and you do not receive, it's because you ask with what? Wrong motives. You ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on pleasures. Okay, so I want you to understand that that's who he is. Okay, and when we're living according to to selfish fleshly desires, it hinders it hinders our prayers. Instead of allowing him to do his will in and through us and us submitting to him. Okay, because what happens is is it produces a harshness. It produces, when we are wanting it in our selfish motives, it produces a harshness of our life. It produces a hardness of heart towards others. Towards others, okay? And we become indifferent to the needs of others. When we become indifferent to the needs of others, we can, be, we can expect God to be indifferent to our needs. Did you hear me? When we become indifferent to the needs of others, we can expect God to be indifferent to our needs. Oh, does he reign on the righteous and unrighteous? Oh, absolutely. It's who he is. Full of grace, full of mercy. This last year has been really hard, you know, physically. And once I take my eyes off myself, and that is not an easy thing to do because Mm. I want to be fixed, I want to be healed, I want to do all this. But the more you're in the Lord, God is saying... 
take your eyes off of you, Mary, and pray for so-and-so. I can And I lived a long life, you know. And I've done things, and I, you know, who knows how long I'll be here. And I find myself saying, God, she's got three kids. Heal her, touch her, use her. But then we were talking back and forth, and I think of the very first Bible study I met her. She looked like a little doe. And what God has done to Janet's life and raised her and used her. And we need to take the focus off of us. Amen. And pray for other people and realize, you know what? Maybe you're not getting healed. But in the meantime, he's filling me with all this. Scripture that I've read for 40 years has become new. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because when we go to God in prayer, you know, our, our first concern is his will. Right. And then our second concern is the will of what he has for others, right. right? So we're concerned about his will, right? And then our in our lives, and then we want to make sure as we're praying that it's for the needs of others, as you just shared. Because it it takes the selfish motive away. And you're... Life by Jill Briscoe, that's a privilege. Absolutely. You know, where is Margo speaking? How is Janet doing? How is so-and-so? You know, that's a privilege, and that's quite a ministry in itself. Oh, it's huge. Be up front. Oh, no, no. You know? Up front doesn't exist without prayer closet. That's right. Without prayer closet people, it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if it does exist, it is not powerful. Right. It is not his, his word. It's not the Holy Spirit. There is not fruit because mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. ushered in and, and kept up in the support of the prayer closet. It has to be that. It has to be that. That's why, you know, I covet your prayers constantly because that's who he is and that's the only way that he works. And then and then he's just, you know, at the ready, right? He's just leaning over, right? Holy Spirit's speaking for us. Jesus is interceding for us right now. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's going, there's my girls. See them? There they are. There's the BSLs. You see them? They say, they love you with all. Okay, change your heart. See them, Lord? See them? We are all gifted all gifted. He gives us gifts, okay? And we are all gifted, and all we are to do is to give back to him by using that gift, by being a good steward of that gift, right? Just being a good steward, it doesn't, if I wasn't a good steward of my gift, that would be sin. If you're not a good steward of the gift, that's sin. Because when we see him before him in the blessing seat, the bema seat of Christ, guess what he's going to judge us on? How great a stewards we were with what he had given us what he has given us, right? Hospitality, administrative, right? I mean, all different, exhorting, preaching, teaching, all different kinds of gifts. Evangelism. I mean, he lists all kinds of gifts. And we are to continue to walk in that gift and pray for that gift that it would come, you know, and bless all others and how he has gifted you. And no gift, you guys, it's just like the body of Christ. Does the toe say to the nose, you know, right? You can't be there. No, you know, I'm more important than you, right? No. No, we're the body of Christ. We're the body, and we tend to, the world, the world, you know, gets in the way and says, oh, you know, someone who's like up front or this and this, this, that, that, that. Are you kidding me? It's not how he has gifted each of us individually. We need to live up to who we already are. Our great calling in Christ Jesus. 
who we already are. And you know what? If it's being a prayer warrior, oh my goodness, greatest calling ever. We right? We were praying today, Marlon. A couple of us were saying she needs only to talk about her, you know. But, but Lisa is a prime example. She encourages. I just don't cry. And she encourages so much with the emails to me Absolutely. and everyone else. Absolutely. You know, sometimes you think it's a really crappy day. And here comes Lisa, yep. you know. And that's what we need. That's her gift. Absolutely. You know, and she is so... She blesses so many people. Well, always in the back. What it does, guys, is it fills in each other's gaps, right? It fills in each other's gaps. That's you know, he knows exactly what you need when it, it does. That's and so we are to take up our cup, right? And and be able to walk in that gifting that we have in him and 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 continue to walk because you know about the body of Christ, about can this you know, portion of your body, say to the other portion of your body, you're not needed. And I remember thinking, you know, um, later on, because it was so obvious, it was in sixth grade, that I had my toe broken. I mean, it was crushed, okay? I had very funny story, but, I mean, not then, but when I walked out of a very old school, Nichols School, Monona, Wisconsin, and you opened the door, and it was like huge steel door, okay? And to the bathroom. So I opened the door, and you know how you walk out the door? You just stand here, and then walk out. As I opened and locked the door, the door completely fell off its hinges onto my foot. And it totally crushed my big toe and, um, and broke a couple others. Well, it was, I was screaming in agony, okay? And they ended up taking me to Dean Clinic and this, 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 and they did some whatever and whatever you can do to toes. And, you know, I, but I remember I was off of it for a long time. I was on crutches and this is, I remember. As I got older and as I had come to Christ and as I would read that, you know, can this body part say to this body part you're not needed? And I remember thinking, do you see how much you needed your big toe, Margo? I mean, you guys, when you can't use your big toe, do you realize how much you need your big toe? Do you know how God perfectly made you for balance for everything with that big toe? Yes, you can relearn it, but man, I am telling you. And I remember thinking, wow, I mean... A big toe is really important. Right? It's more important than a mouth, than a speaking. Right? This big toe is really important. You guys, that's gifting. That's the same thing. Don't ever minimize what God has gifted you with. Use it to the full. To the full. And watch him do all the rest. He does all the rest. So it's just, you just walk in that. You just walk in the goodness of that. And so when you're praying and submitting to him, what happens is, is that you will have a concern for others, okay? And so I want you to know that our first concern should be his will, and then the second should be the needs of each other, the needs of others, okay? And it stems from the understanding that we know that others are better than ourselves. That's biblical, okay? We're going to go into it. That others are better than ourselves. We need to consider others better than ourselves and be concerned about their interests over our interests. Right? And, and as, as Mary's saying, you know, she is, the Lord is changing her. It's not a selfish motives anymore. She's praying. She's praying, interceding. I want you to open up to Philippians 2. Philippians, by the way, is my favorite book of the Bible. Absolutely favorite. Second is Numbers. Just kidding. Just trying to see if you're listening. <laughs> you guys are a little slow on the uptake there, all right? All right. Philippians, full of joy, full of joy in the midst of all the circumstances, right? Not looking that great, but man, joy. Circumstance, joy. Philippians 2. 
Uh, two through four. We're just going to look at two through four because two through four will take at least 20 minutes, all right? You know that, all right? Look at Philippians 2. Who's got it? So you can read for me. Mary, okay. Let me start at the beginning. Sure. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Of others. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, this is Mr. Paul. Okay? Mr. Paul. And uh, he is now talking to the Church of Philippi. And he is saying, fulfill my joy. Fulfill my joy. He's speaking to the church of Philippi. And that's a personal request, isn't it? He has a personal request to fulfill my joy. And part of the reason that Paul wanted the Philippians to take heed to his word because he wanted them to know that it would take, that, that when you are doing this, it will make the founding apostle of this church joy-filled. Joy-filled. It's a personal request. I love how he started that. Fulfill my joy. Right? This will fulfill my joy. And that's how he started it out. And then he tells us how to fulfill his joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in accord, one mind. Okay? So in other words, a deep, abiding, internal unity among the Philippians. That's going to fulfill my joy. Okay? Deep, abiding concern and unity in the body of Christ. Okay? And so unity is the goal. Which follows in Philippians 2, um, 3 and 4, okay, descriptions on how to achieve and practice that unity mentioned in Philippians 2, 2. Would you read 4, Mary? Verse 4. Yeah, again, please. Um, Actually, 3 and 4 again. Okay. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Okay, so the first first huge clue there is what? Let nothing be done through what? Selfish ambition. Nothing be done through selfish ambition. Okay? You guys, you can ask for anything in his name, then let nothing be done in selfish ambition. Okay? This is the first step to this kind of unity that he's asking and sharing about is that you don't let anything be done in selfish ambition. That it's not how does this affect me? How is this going to better me? How am I going to be the big shot in this? How am I going to look in this? Okay? In the flesh, in our flesh, our icky flesh side of our life, not in the bad dog, okay? Many, many, many times we are motivated only by selfish ambition or conceit. Or conceit, right? Because it comes from pride, it comes from our pride. And that's typical of the flesh. That's so typical of the flesh, okay? Much of what we do, guys, is, is not done out of the love for others. Much of what we do is not done because I love you. Out of the love for others, all right? But it's done for our own desire of advancement, for our own desire of, of promotion. That's what selfish ambition is. The advancement of yourself, the promotion of yourself, okay? And so it's done that way. And Paul found it important to say selfish ambition because is all ambition wrong? 
No. No, there's good ambition, right? There's excellent, there, there's good ambition to glorify God, to serve Him, right, with everything that we have. That's good ambition. But He's saying, selfish ambition, not so much. It's to glorify you, right? It's to glorify you, okay? And so He says, don't let anything be done with selfish ambition or conceit, okay? The second step of this, of, of this kind of unity is conceit. Do you know what that is? Thinking too highly of yourself. Thinking that you are on the throne and you are the big shot and nobody can touch you, okay? Having an excessive self-interest. Excessive, okay? Self-preoccupation. Always thinking about yourself and how it affects. In other words, what happens with that is you receive empty glory. Empty glory. Absolutely no glory in that. You receive absolute empty glory. And I looked up in the dictionary what the um, definition of it is conceit. It says, an excessively favorable opinion, an excessively favorable opinion of one's own ability, importance, wit, and so forth. And so forth. That was in the dictionary. Like, and so forth. Excessively favorable opinion of one's own ability, importance, wit, and so forth, okay, and so forth. So, you know, when we do things feeling like we are so important, okay, we think that we're so so able or so talented, you guys, guess what? We're out of God's will then. We're out of God's will. When we're thinking, wow, this is it, man, this is, you know, this is, I mean, this is me. I mean, whoa, this is great. We are out of God's will. We are to, as we're going to go through right now, we are to be lowly in heart. That's lower than humble. That's lower. You're right, Gladys, but it's lower than humble. You first have to be humble, and then you're lowly. And then you're lowly, okay? And so what happens is we're out of God's will if we're, if we're walking that way, and we're working against unity. And that brings no joy. Not even to each other, let alone to your you know, to Paul as the apostle, as the teacher, as the, as the founder of the church at Philippi, okay? We're working against unity that Paul is pleading them to have. He's pleading us to have, okay? And so he's, it says, in lowliness of mind, lower than humble, lowliness of mind, let us esteem others better than himself, okay? So, you know, that is completely contradictory to the world. That is completely contradictory to the world. The world would say, mine, 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 crush whatever you have to do. It's all about me, myself. You know, my, my right is here. You better not come up to it. Oh, my goodness, that's completely contradictory to the world, which shouldn't surprise us because the Lord says, right, his thoughts and his ways are higher, are better, are not like ours, right? And he says, this is the way to walk, lowliness of mind. And quite frankly, in the world, that's the least attractive you can look is lowliness of mind. But then he goes, you see, I take those fools of the world and I lift them up. I lift them up, right? I push down the the prideful. I lift up the humble, right? That's what he does. He upends the world. He takes the fools of the world and he shows his glory through them. Shows his glory through them, okay? Because the world doesn't think that that's attractive at all lowliness of mind, okay? And you guys, when Paul was talking to the Greeks back at this point, oh, that was never virtue, lowliness of mind. I mean, that was as far as it would come. I mean, no way, okay? In other words, if you had lowliness and humility and walking in, in a humble heart, that you were absolutely, that was a fault, 
That was not a virtue in your life. That was a fault. Something's wrong with you. If you're allowing the other person, if you, you know, if you think of them, if you esteem them higher than yourselves, something's wrong with you. That's what the Greeks would believe as well, okay? That, that pagan idea was that man needs to be self-assertive, that man is a self-made man, okay? That he imposes my will, I impose my will on you. Okay, that was looked up to. That was a virtue. This is what Paul is preaching against back then to the Philippians. And has anything changed? No, because that would be flesh stuff. That would absolutely be flesh stuff, all right? And so and so when he says in lowliness of mind let us let us let each esteem others better than himself, okay? Spurgeon says, my Charles The Apostle knew that to create concord, you need first to beget lowliness of mind. Men do not quarrel when their ambitions have come to an end. Men do not quarrel when their ambitions have come to an end. We're sort of seeing that in Madison a bit, aren't we? Okay? Uh, You know what? It's really, it's their ambitions. Now, I believe with all my heart that each one of those think that what they're doing is right. Or they wouldn't be doing it. But it's still, you, you just see how it works out when it's your ambition. When it's your ambition. Because it creates what? It creates quarreling. It creates quarreling, okay? And so we are to esteem others better than ourselves, okay? And so what that does is it rebukes culture's idea of self-esteem. It rebukes it. Culture's idea of self-esteem, okay? The Bible knows nothing about, nothing about an attitude of confident superiority walking around in every situation. The Bible doesn't teach anything like that. That is not... The Bible doesn't have a self-help course where you go, if I do one, then I do two, then I do three, then I do four, then I do five, and then I, I, I do my little list at the end, and I've answered the questions. Oh, I'll have absolutely perfect self-esteem. Are you kidding me? Our esteem rests in the fact that Jesus Christ died for us. He rose for us. He's living right now. He's making a house for us. He's going to come back and get us. That's where our self-esteem rests. Because it's in Him that we move and live and have our very being. Or we wouldn't be even breathing or here right this moment if it wasn't ordained by Him. We are that dependent on Him. All those self-help books don't help maybe for a couple weeks, maybe a couple months. But not forever. Our esteem rests in Jesus Christ alone. Our human personality is frail. It's very frail. But not the Holy Spirit in us. Not the Holy Spirit in us. That's not who He is, okay? And as we esteem others better, we will naturally have a concern for them, won't we? When we esteem others, we put others before ourselves, our own wants, our own needs, we will have a natural concern for them. We will, you know, it's like when we look outward instead of inward, Okay? We look outward towards each other and see the needs. What happens is we will naturally then have a unity of the people of God. Right? We will have that unity of the people of God. Okay? And if I consider you, okay, if I consider you above me and you consider me above you, then an incredible, marvelous thing happens. What happens? 
What? You're equal. You're equal. What else? What else happens? Where? What happens? If I consider you better than me, and you consider me better than you, then we're all looked what? We're all looked up to. Right? We're all looked up to. We're not pointed at. We're not put down. We're not this. We are looked up to. Because I put your, your needs, your wants above mine, and you have done that with me, so then we are absolutely, you know, everyone is looked up to, and no one is looked down on. Do you see how that is? That creates unity in the body of Christ. Remember, he's talking to the body of Christ. Okay, he's talking to you and me, all right? So he says at the end here, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Okay, now I want you to realize, I love how Paul always completed his thought. He just, he had to be part engineer. Just had to be part engineer. He just always completed, he always brought it around. You know, didn't he? Always brought it around. It wasn't just like boom, 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 boom. He, he would go boom, 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 and then whoosh, here it is in a nutshell. And what he says is, is that, is that as we put away our selfish ambitions, okay, as we put away our selfish ambitions and our conceit, right, thinking that we're the best, right, our tendencies, all right, our tendencies to be high-minded, to be self-absorbed, to be all that flesh yuck stuff that comes, okay, we'll naturally have a greater concern for each other. As we put it away, right, put to death the deeds of the flesh, Romans 8, right, what will naturally happen is we will have the spirit have a natural concern for one another, okay, for the interests and the needs of others, all right? And so what happens is he's not just saying, hey, you know what, don't ever look out for your own interests. Don't ever, you know, don't take care of your, you know, your home, your family, your car, you know, what, you have food on the table. Don't look out for your own interests. Is he saying that? No, he's not saying that at all, okay? He says we should not only look out for our own interests. That's the key. And quite sadly, the body of Christ, most of the time, looks out only for their own interest. For their own interest. I love when Jill says, you know what, in, in prayer that works, if it does, because the Lord says this, if it doesn't cost you something, if it doesn't cost you something to sacrificially give, you haven't given. Just like that little mite, right? The little lady gave everything she had. She gave that mite. Cost her everything. Cost her everything to put that in. If it doesn't cost you something, it might be really easy to throw 100 bucks in the plate every, every week. But that might not cost you anything. It's when it costs you something that you're looking out not only for your own needs but for those around you. That's when you know that your selfish ambition is fading and His glory is becoming more and more and more. That's how you pray. That's how you pray. Looking out for the needs, not only for yourself, but for others. In your prayer closet. And next week we're going to finish. Um, the last two is not forgiving each other, as Christ forgave us. And how is your home? Is there discord in your home? 
because that will stand in the way of effectively praying. So we are going to um, finish with those two, and I, I want you to be praying to that end. And from now until um, next week, I want you to be in First Peter because it so naturally goes right into First Peter. Uh, all five um, chapters. Read First Peter as I just just as if you're just picking up a book. Say, Lord, just speak to me because it's it's His good book. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the only book that, as you read it, what it reads you. Mm-hmm. Only book as you read it. It reads you. And allow it to read you and write down uh, nuggets of truth that you have because as we come upon them, you're going to see how God's going to make it come alive for you. Okay? All right, in closing, uh, uh, whoever wants to just pray, you know, I just encourage you. You know, guys, as we're learning to pray, we pray for each other. Just praise Him, whatever it is. And, and if it's even just, you know, I praise you for, you know, bringing me here today. That's prayer. Lord, in this silence, we are each calling out to you in our hearts and in our minds and you hear the very recesses you, you you promise that the Holy Spirit you just searches and looks and goes deeper than what we can understand and answers and so Lord thank you thank you that we can be so honest before you and so real before you and as we just stay in our prayer closet you take that and and you use it for your glory somehow and you change us and you allow us to become more and more like you you transform our mind you renew it as we don't conform to the world but we we are transformed by the renewing of our mind Lord thank you for your word thank you for your precious word God may we guard our hearts with your word because it's a wellspring of life Lord thank you that uh, it isn't about self esteem it's about how our esteem rests in you and how we become lowly and humble in heart Lord, I just thank you that you have allowed us to convene with you, to converse with you, to be satiated with you. I thank you that uh, you are not a God that is far away, but that you are that you are here, that you are in us, that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in us when when we know you. Well, we've accepted what you've done on the cross for us. And so we ask, Lord God, that the Holy Spirit would reign in and through us this year. As we're coming up to retreat in October, Lord, may we uh, begin to understand what that means to be captivated by you. Lord, thank you that we have everything we need for life and for death right here in your word. You breathed out word. But I thank you that prayer is the only thing that hits heaven before we do. And how uh, right now you are you are listening, you're responding. You have already gone before us. You 
You already have it done in the heavenlies and, and, and we just join you in it. Lord, let us walk by faith, grow up our faith, grow up our trust. May we walk so circumspectly, Lord, in the unseen stuff and not in the seen. Lord, I just thank you that our two raise each other up and care for each other and not only for ourselves. So God, break our hearts in that area that break your heart, Lord. And may we become more and more like you and less and less like our putrid selves until we see you face to face. Lord, we ask that you take us and that you would use us, that we would do what you bless. We would do what you bless, Lord. And that you would be so proud of us as we're pleasing you here because we're going to please you there someday. And so, Jesus, we all praise your name and we all give you glory. And we thank you for this time and this sweet, sweet time that we can meet with each other and be filled full of you and full of fellowship and growing up our faith and full of fun as we walk as we walk on that big sanctification road together thank you for giving us each other thank you for giving us the word of God thank you for giving us circumstances thank you for giving us prayer All those are love gifts, Lord, from you until we see you. And may we live uprightly in those to give you glory. I praise you and thank you in your powerful, incredible name of Jesus. Amen.